Since November, we have been journeying together as a church through the life and the story of Jesus. Remember, we started way back in Advent with the marking of the season of expectation, longing for God to come and to rescue God's people. And then Advent gives way to Christmas time. Christmas time is that season where we joyously celebrate the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnation of God with us. Then Christmas time gives way to Epiphany. Epiphany is when we journey with the Magi from the East to the Christ child's side, where we marvel at God's light. God has made the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, the Lord of all nations, all ethnic groups of the world. Epiphany then gives way to the season of Lent, which is a journey to the cross. We follow through the ministry of Jesus from his baptism to his temptation, to his miracles, his teachings, and then finally to that, that final week in Jerusalem. That week began last week. Last Sunday we commemorated the first Palm Sunday with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his confrontation with the religious and the political authorities. This, of course, led to his betrayal, his arrest, his flogging, his crucifixion, and his death. Just a few days ago on Friday, Roots joined together with eight other multi-ethnic churches in the Twin Cities for a combined Good Friday worship gathering. And the pastors of seven different churches gave seven short sermons on the seven last words of Jesus. Uh, we've been meeting together as a group. We call ourselves the Mosaic Group. And it was a beautiful service, and I think it was a powerful demonstration of what Jesus prayed for in John 17, that his disciples would be one with one another as he and the Father are one. Pastor Hollis Kim, who's the transition pastor at Brookdale Covenant Church, he presided over the service. And there was something that he talked about that I think is so important for us to, to keep in mind. In the broader American culture, we've been conditioned to avoid discomfort, to, uh, to avoid remaining in the tension of unresolved conflict. We rush to the celebration of Sunday, and we have no place for the uncertainty and the darkness of Friday. I think this is um, why we also don't spend a lot of time in America talking about Holy Saturday. Because Holy Saturday is that in-between place, liminality. It's unsettled. Makes us uneasy. But I'm convinced that the joy of Easter Sunday is magnified when we are intentional about walking with Jesus through every aspect of his life, even the parts that make us uncomfortable. Amen? In fact, it's in this discomfort that we grow, right? Not in the easy parts. It's like with exercise. Everybody knows that your muscles are not going to grow if you do not expose them to resistance. That's what exercise is. If you don't exercise your muscles, if you don't expose them to resistance, they will atrophy. The Christian calendar beckons us into the life of Jesus. 
into the story of Jesus. And it gives us opportunities for joyous celebrations, like today, times of beauty, times of festivities. But it also provides space for those aspects of our lives that are challenging. We're offered opportunities to expose ourselves to some resistance for our own strengthening. And that is also why we come together as the diverse body of Christ, a people made up of all different people groups, so that we can joyously celebrate with one another, but we can also have the honor of walking with each other through the hard times, right? We walk with each other the way that Jesus walks with us, through thick and through thin, by his Holy Spirit. And that brings me to today. Today is the climactic, mountaintop peak of Jesus' life and story. Jesus' story, had it ended on Friday, Jesus would have been just another one of literally tens of thousands of Judeans who were crushed by the Roman military machine. Did you know that? Shortly before Jesus was born, uh, 4,000 Galileans were crucified by the Roman Empire. And that's just a drop in the bucket. They crucified many, many more. Jesus was also crushed by the collusion of corrupt economic and religious authorities. Take a moment to consider this, that throughout history, millions of human beings, untold numbers of women and children, untold numbers of soldiers on the battlefield have been the nameless victims of armies marching across this planet, conquering in the name of their nation, their empire, their political philosophy, or their religion. Take a moment to consider the immense injustice that this represents. Often, society's most vulnerable people People all over the world have been the collateral damage in the war games of powerful regimes. And Jesus was like them. Jesus was a Palestinian peasant in a region of the Roman Empire that was like the backwaters. It was a, not a place of renown. History books wouldn't even have given Jesus a footnote had it not been for Sunday. He would have just been one of the many Galileans that were in the, getting in the way of Roman progress. So they had to be destroyed to keep the peace. But Good Friday gives way to Holy Saturday. When we're told Jesus descends into the place of the dead and preaches the good news to those who are imprisoned there and leads them out into new creation. Death is one of the powers that Jesus confronts on the cross. And Jesus takes death into his own self. And Jesus absorbs the full weight of its power. Then he takes the keys of death and of Hades into his hands and he marches out of the grave on Easter Sunday. Today is the day that we celebrate the victory of a homeless Palestinian Jewish peasant, an itinerant preacher 
a miracle worker who was baptized by John in the River Jordan, who gathered to himself a small group of disciples, men and women, and started a movement that was about love. A movement that said that God was like a loving father. And he taught that love was more powerful than all the powers of death. And then he proved it by rising from the grave. Jesus had no army, no tanks, no bombs, no guns. He didn't even have a motley crew of insurrectionists. He was beaten, he was mocked, he never amassed great wealth, he never built himself a beautiful palace, but this Jesus, this is the Jesus who conquers death. And this fact, this fact that Jesus rose from the dead is more important than any other fact in history. Because all of history is trying to tell you and me the same story. It's trying to tell us that the nations, the rulers, the movements with the most wealth, with the dominant race or ethnicity, with the most sophisticated philosophies, with the most destructive weapons, with the most geopolitical influence, they're the ones that control history. That's the story of every empire in history. That's the story of Egypt, that's the story of Babylon. That's the story of Assyria. That's the story of the Soviet Union. That's the story of Nazi Germany. And that's the story of the United States of America. I'm not saying that the United States of America is on par with Nazi Germany, so don't go away saying that. But what I am saying is that America has bought into that story. The United States is the pinnacle of this story. To rule the world, you have to have the biggest economy. To rule the world, you have to have the most technologically advanced military. To rule the world, you have to drop the A-bomb. But the life and the story of Jesus turns history upside down. The life and story of Jesus is a subversion of every system of domination and oppression ever conceived by demons or humans. All the powers colluded together to destroy Jesus, and they failed. Instead, Jesus triumphed over them, not through religious shame, not through economic domination, not through military coercion, but through the power of love over death. Something that we often miss because we are like fish who swim in western waters. And Western culture has, has conditioned us to not see these kind of things when we read the scriptures. But something that we miss is that in the Gospels, the narrative paints a picture of Jesus confronting a conspiracy of disparate forces that have aligned themselves together to destroy Jesus. The Gospels lead up to this climactic moment when Jesus comes face to face with Jerusalem's high priest, Caiaphas, the puppet king of the Jews installed by Rome, Herod, and the military official in charge of this entire region, Pilate. And together, these three men, who despised each other, suddenly became friends. And they joined forces in their mutual 
assignment to try to control history. Caiaphas represents religious power. He had a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. He wanted to maintain control over the clamoring masses who wanted a revolt against their pagan oppressors. But he also wanted to preserve his own status and prestige. His own authority over the rituals and the traditions of Israel. Throughout the Bible, there's always been conflict between the priestly class and the prophetic voices. And the prophetic voices are always calling the priestly class to account and telling them to repent. Because often the priestly class are tempted to rest on their laurels and to preserve their power. But God may be up to something different, right? Herod represents economic power, which may not be obvious. But Herod was said to have been more wealthy than Caesar himself. Herod rebuilt the Jerusalem temple out of his own coffers. And he built himself many beautiful palaces. But we know from the Gospels that Herod was very insecure about his role. We know that he wasn't fully Jewish. We know he didn't descend from King David. And we know that he wasn't faithful to the Torah. So what did he do when he had his own detractors like John the Baptist? He beheaded them. And he tried to kill Jesus as a baby. But then there's Pilate. And Pilate's the easiest one to identify. He represents the military power of Rome. When Caiaphas and Herod wanted to kill Jesus, they had to take him to Pilate. Rome had conquered Judea and made it a vassal state. And Rome ruled through fear. They crucified insurrectionists to terrorize their subjects. To inflict the maximal amount of pain and suffering on those who would attempt to rise up against them. Pilate's job was to make sure that Passover didn't devolve into a riot. So he had his soldiers ready to put down any threat. So here you have three figures conspiring together, representing all the forces of evil, joined together to destroy Jesus on that first holy week. They poured their wrath out on Jesus. The cumulative wrath of all the corruption of the world. But they had no idea that when they placed a crown of thorns on his head, and when they placed a purple robe around him in mockery, and when they wrote King of the Jews in several different languages above his cross, that they were falling into Jesus' trap. They didn't, they didn't have a clue. Jesus played them. Jesus tricked them. Jesus turned the tables on them. Jesus took their fake crown and he made it real. Jesus took that fake robe and he made it real. Jesus took their cross and he made it his throne. Jesus took all the violence, all the hatred, all the mockery into his soul and he absorbed it. Instead of multiplying it, instead of contributing to it, instead of retaliating against them, he transformed their sin into forgiveness. He transformed their scorn into honoring their humanity. He transformed their humiliation into surrendering himself to God. He transformed their torture 
into giving his disciples to one another as a new family. He transformed their crucifixion into his coronation. His trap was so successful that even the soldiers who crucified him said, surely this man was innocent. And surely this man was the son of God. Think about that. The Roman centurions who witnessed this crucifixion and orchestrated it, they saw that they'd been duped. They saw that they'd been tricked. The Apostle Paul writes about this to a Roman city, the disciples in a Roman city called Corinth. He says, brothers, so it is with me, brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of Christ's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Not the wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. Listen to this. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They fell into his trap. They didn't realize that what they were doing would change the world, would subvert their own power, would take the teeth, the fangs out of death. And for 2,000 years, Jesus' life and story has been transforming lives, transforming families, communities, even whole nations. The life of Jesus upends everything history is trying to tell us. History tries to tell us that the powerful, the ruthless, are the ones who win, the ones who rule. Those who are prepared to lie, cheat, and steal to gain power. But the death and resurrection of Jesus exposes this story of history as a demonic lie. The death and resurrection of Jesus tell us a better story and frames our future with hope. Now we know that death is not the final word. We know that the powers of economic domination, racial oppression, religious shame, military destruction will not finally rule the day. We know that the one who rules the world is the embodiment of love. We know that the one who rules and judges us loved us so much that he gave his life for us. We know that the one who holds history in his hands is a person who knows our pain intimately. We know that our present sufferings is not the end of the story. And that's good news. Amen? Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, 
not by his own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that has been seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Sisters and brothers, our hope is now rooted in God's new creation. The renewal of all things. The renewal of the world gone wrong. The creator has not given up on his creation and will make every wrong right again. Heal every wound and bring low every power that sets itself up against the reign of God. Our hope is now founded upon the resurrection which gives power to God's people, a new people, not based on ethnicity or race, not based on uh, any of the other demographics, not based on ge ge uh, geographics, not based on anything, but based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what brings us together. And now we have been adopted together into the family of God. Roots Covenant Church is part of that family. The Mosaic churches all around the Twin Cities are part of that family of God. The resurrection subverts the story of racism. It subverts the story of colonizing conquest. It subverts the story that says material wealth brings satisfaction. Or that some human beings are expendable or that our world is doomed. The resurrection is the breaking in of God's reign, the future of shalom in which the glory of God so fills the world that everyone comes together to worship the Lamb. The resurrection is the hope that even now, right now, today, we can experience a glimpse, a taste of that future, in part, as we are being renewed day by day. Here's how Paul put that also to the Corinthians. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through those also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until, all of, until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Because death has been defeated, you and I are freed to live without fear. Because death has been defeated, we are liberated to give our lives away for others. We don't need to cling to them. We don't need to have that sense of scarcity. There is abundance now in God's new creation. Because death has been defeated, heaven has invaded earth. 
And we can meet with God the Father through the Holy Spirit of the risen Son. And because death has been defeated, we live with hope. We live with, we love with abandon, and we sing, and we share our resources, and we boldly proclaim that God is making all things new. This morning, I don't know what each and every one of you is going through. I don't know inside what your, the thoughts of your hearts. I know some of your situations. I know some details. But I want to say that this morning, the resurrection gives us power to triumph over our challenges, to speak to those insecurities, to overcome the, the powers that press in on us. Have you ever felt overcome, overwhelmed by everything in your life? Jesus has defeated that feeling. Jesus has overcome all the forces that have aligned themselves against us. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit who's with us, in us, through us, and among us. So this morning, my prayer is that we would live into this new creation as Roots Covenant Church. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you so much for the way that he comes into the world, not as a ruthless tyrant, not as a conquering warrior, not as someone willing to cut corners and steal and kill and destroy lives, but he comes into the world as a peasant, as a poor person, as someone who said, I have no place to lay my head. He comes as a preacher, someone who's armed only with the word of God. And he goes around healing people's hurts, feeding the hungry, and proclaiming the inbreaking reign of God. Thank you, Jesus, for coming among us as one like us, one who is acquainted with our suffering, one who knows what it's like to be conspired against, to knows what it's like to be betrayed, knows what it's like to feel sorrow, and knows what it's like to feel pain. Lord Jesus, I pray that each one of us would feel close to you in our pain, close to you in our sorrow. And Lord Jesus, I pray that each one of us would be filled with the power of your resurrection, that we'd be acquainted with the fellowship of your sufferings, but we'd also be acquainted with the power of your resurrection. Jesus, so fill us with your spirit that we come together for one another, giving our lives away for one another, forming a new kind of community, a family, not based on race or ethnicity or geography, but based on allegiance to you, King Jesus. And Lord, help us to recognize the stories and the narratives in our world that are telling us that violence wins, that wealth conquers. Help us to recognize those as demonic lies, and help us to see that you have to already defeated those powers. Give us hope, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite...